At Sweater Weather, I'm bringing the best of Canadian left journalism, publishing, and academia to video, where it will find new audiences interested in these ideas. If you like what I'm doing and support my mission, please make a monthly donation at patreon.com slash Canadian Sweater. The link is in the show notes. So this seems like a good place to pivot to your recent article for Canadian Dimension, uh, which, I, which I really like. Now, you know, the on, this ongoing legacy of deindustrialization is something that the media took notice of, if briefly, after the election of Donald Trump, you know, with reportage from former industrial towns and cities uh, in the Midwest, for example, you know, who had voted for Trump. Uh, I thought your recent article for Canadian Dimension was, was really good because uh, it's, it was a different kind of article, but it raised similar issues for Canada. So in that piece, you write, quote, Canada is ripe for right-wing populism and a realignment of working-class politics is taking place that can support its growth if left unchallenged. So I'm wondering if you could say a little bit more, you know, specifically to the Canadian context about who these working-class voters are and why right-wing populism would appeal to them. I think, you know, sometimes Canadians can be quite complacent. <laughs> you know, we look to the United States and we say, oh, that could never happen here, right? And, and um, I guess my, my piece was, was trying to, you know, raise an alarm that, that we're not immune to these wider forces, um, in part because economically what we've seen is exactly the same thing in Canada, that industrial uh, towns and and uh, resource dependent communities have been hollowed out and pulverized, right? By the political decisions made in, in Ottawa or, or a lot of provincial capitals. And, and of course these wider, wider forces that are they're at work. Um, and we've already seen a, a wave of populism, of course, in the early 1990s with the rise of the reform party uh, which actually did make inroads into a lot of working class communities, like mainly rural communities, of course. But, but I know that in my, I mentioned this in, in my piece in Canadian Dimension that, you know, I'm originally from Thunder Bay, Ontario, you know, Uniontown, Northern Ontario, all of Northern Ontario is basically NDP liberal. Uh, it's hard for the conservatives to really get traction there because it's unionized. Um, and in 1993, the federal election, um, you know, some of the poorest polls, you know, polling stations in Thunder Bay, which would normally be 65, 70% NDP, flipped to the Reform Party, right? So exactly the same, exactly the same pattern that we're seeing in West Virginia or Northern Minnesota or Ternia, Italy, or in the nor Northern Mining Basin of France or parts of, you know, Northeast England. Um, and so we see the beginnings of that, but there was no economic populism within that message of the Reform Party. Um, and so, and so my, my, my editorial was sort of commenting on, on how, you know, the, the new leader of the Conservative Party has sort of been putting up trial balloons. Like he's seen what's happened in the United States. He's seen how the, you know, the red wall, like the labor sort of North England, which has always been labor <laughs> essentially, Last election, just just a few months ago, um, you know, much of that wall collapsed, and, and areas that that have been, you know, labor for generations, right, voted conservative, right, which is remarkable given Thatcherism and, and that legacy, and and what happened to those communities in the first place. 
how they could vote for the conservatives is, is mind boggling, right? Um, and so you see, you see the Canadian conservative parties seeing this, right? Seeing what's happening in, in the United States, seeing what's happening in England, seeing what's happening elsewhere. And, and realizing that, that, that you know, if, they, if they sort of deploy like a blue collar strategy, you know, there's no reason why, why, why working class voters like union households, you know, might not vote for them. And, and you know, the challenge historically in Canada is that it's a three party system, not a two party system. And you had the NDP, which, which had its anchor in working class communities. But that, that, that connection has, has withered over time, um, and in part because I think the NDP is gentrified. It is much more of a party of sort of the public sector middle class, I would argue. Um, uh, and if you look at where the NDP holds, like what seats they hold federally, it's mainly in downtown sort of cores, right? So downtown Edmonton, downtown Vancouver, downtown Toronto, um, and so on. And, and industrial towns, so like the Hamiltons or Windsors of Canada, there aren't that many left, right? But we have some of those. And, and then the resource frontier, right? So northern, northern, you know, Saskatchewan, northern Manitoba, northern Ontario, you know, used to be northern BC, less so now. Um, and and so, so to me, what the conservatives are gonna, are gonna try to do is they're gonna try to pry, you know, those two electorates apart. Um, and, and they can do so, you know, through economic populism by, by the rhetoric of, you know, we need a manufacturing base, you know, which again, the conservative party is responsible for free trade. <laughs> so it's, 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 um, remarkable. Um, but also, also, you know, you know, trying to use wedge issues like, like the culture wars, um, which uh, you know a lot of lot of working class voters you know might be conservative actually on non-economic issues um, or less liberal on, on, on non-economic issues and so that's you know that, that that's a way to you know to pry apart you know that that coalition and and because the NDP is so weak right now uh, in my view federally uh, I think they're very vulnerable uh, uh, to, to being, you know, disappointed, right, in, in the federal election next year. Do you think that the Conservative Party, uh, you know, while using rhetoric that might appeal to the working class, you know, given that party's, uh, it's, it's, you know, the interests that it represents, the coalition that it, that it, that it represents, could it really do anything to materially improve the lives of the working class? Or is it is it really just uh, smoke and mirrors? Well, I think it's I think it's smoke and mirrors. But but they already you know like rural areas are often quite poor too, right? And you have this urban rural divide you know politically across North America, um, U.S. and Canada, where rural areas do not vote NDP and they do not always often vote Liberal even, uh, and yet these are often areas that have been that have suffered from globalization, right? That have suffered from sort of neoliberal policies. And so you've already had that, 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 that happen in, in, in large swaths of the country. 
Uh, and so I think I think it is a real possibility. Um, I don't think it's necessarily real. It's like I don't think Trump was real, although he did do you know he did symbolic acts like the changing of NAFTA, that went further than even the Democratic Party would have done, which again says a lot about the Democratic Party. Um, and in Canada, you know, Liberal Party, like it's you know economically, it's it's a it's a right wing party. Um, it's not, it's not a, a centrist party economically. Uh, well, I really liked your article too, because it seemed to, in a sense, kind of predict a, a line of analysis that's come to the fore. Uh, and just actually in recent weeks, like after you published your article. So I'm not sure if you caught any of these pieces. Uh, some commentators have been talking about a orange blue dynamic that is supporters shifting between the NDP party and conservative party, or, like, or maybe the other way around, NDP to conservative, conservative to NDP. So Philip uh, Fournier in an analysis of polling data for McLean's wrote last week about, uh, quote, a modest but notable shift in favor of the NDP that does not appear to have come from current liberal supporters, but from potential conservative and green voters. These potential orange, blue and blue green voters will be the ones to watch in 2021. There's probably a joke there about the color wheel to be made, but I'll just forego that because it wouldn't be very funny. Um, so a Canadian press piece by Christopher Reynolds points out that the Conservative Party in 2019 did its best ever among manual working class voters. And uh, that piece is citing uh, Peter Graffy, Associate Professor of Political Science at McMaster. So now back to your article, you know, you, you brought up the historical example of voters ditching the NDP for a conservative party, the, uh, you know, in the 1993 federal election, the, you know, the right wing reform party claimed a huge chunk of NDP voters, like you've already said, now just like some numbers on that, the NDP went from 43 seats in 88 to nine seats in 93. Many of those seats going directly from NDP to the Reform Party. And of the next election, you write, quote, I expect the NDP will find it impossible to satisfy its middle-class supporters in downtown urban areas for whom pipelines, mining, and forestry are dirty words, and working-class voters living elsewhere for whom this is about jobs and respect for the work they do. Now, I feel this does nicely uh, summarize a contradiction to internal to the NDP party that tries to at times appeal to blue collar working class areas, as well as the professional class of the urban of urban areas. So do you think this split in its base ultimately spells the end of the NDP or is this actually some kind of opportunity to grow? What, what should the NDP do? Of course, you know, the thing that's different from now from 93 is you got a, you got a rising green party and, and the green party of course competes with the NDP in these downtown urban areas. Um, and so in a way you've got a green orange sort of, you know, uh, dynamic with some red in there, right? In downtown areas, then you've got the orange blue with some red in there in, in more industrial or resource-based communities. And so, and so they have to fight two wars essentially, right? And they have to fight this way and they have to fight that way. And it's not the same message, right? Um, and whether it's pipelines or, you know, it's all kinds of issues where, where it's gonna be impossible, I think, for, for the NDP to find 
uh, you know, middle ground. Um, now, how do they do it? Well, you know, what we've seen in the United States is, is some really exciting developments, right? With, you know, Bernie Sanders and AOC, where you have sort of an economic populism from the left, right? Where, where if, if the battle becomes eco about economics, right? Uh, then you've got, you know, in a way these right-wing parties, right? And the Green Party not being particularly good on economic issues, right, for a lot of people. Um, and so suddenly that's a way to really redefine the debate and, and to reconnect, I think, with a lot of Canadians, uh, urban and potentially rural. Um, but will they do it? Can they do it? Um, I, I don't know, right? I haven't seen it done. You know, the last time the NDP ran on economics was 1984. And um, that's a long time ago. Um, but I we can hope, right? So I think that there's a need for that, right? And we see with Bernie Sanders, you know, the last two, you know, primary sort of drives was that he, he tapped into a lot of young people who are precarious, who, 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 you know, have massive economic issues facing them. So issues like minimum wage, issues like, um, you know, uh, just the, the wealth divide, right? And that, that's a huge issue in Canada too. Like, again, like we had the, the Panama Papers, all this disclosure about rich Canadians, you know, not paying their taxes, yet, you know, our political parties have done nothing. Um, and so why isn't the NDP running on those issues? Uh, I think these are, these are the issues that really can allow the NDP to, to speak for that 99%, right? You know, to really, really position or recontextualize or redefine that debate. Uh, I think that's the only way that the NDP can really, really move forward. Um, otherwise, I think if they're if they're fighting a defensive battle on these two fronts, yeah, I think you'll just see you'll see another 1993.